I've learned uh, to trust. Yeah. And and so my uh, um, attitude about life is much better than it's ever been. I I have a phrase that I uh, uh, say hundreds of times a day at some days, and it basically says, Jesus, I place my trust in you. And so what that means to me is I'm surrendering to his will, whatever that will is. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Listen up. For such a time as this, we must grow our faith and business muscles. The self-help industry is trying to own spirituality and well-being. The entrepreneurial space is becoming flooded with business pursuits focused on success instead of sustenance. But the only one who can make us fully whole, fully free, and fully alive is Jesus. So I'm ecstatic you walked into this hypothetical gym today. I'm your trainer, Tamara Andress, also coined an entrepreneurial rabbi, teaching the pursuits of God, which unveil our purpose and ultimately unleash our desired provision. This FIT acronym is for founders, innovators, and trailblazers. Here, marketplace ministers conversate and educate to build others from the inside out while also sharing their testimonies of endurance. So while it's not a fitness broadcast, I do surely care about your mental, physical, emotional, relational, financial, and spiritual health. You're going to hear all about it. If you're passionate about your becoming journey, leading others to greatness, and living a life of abundance and joy, then you're well on your way to being... Fit in faith. Let's hydrate. Welcome to the show today. I am so excited for you guys too. And I say excited. I I don't know actually if that's the honest word. Um, It's more so a little trepidatious, but in um, the covering of our Father in Heaven who um, will allow the people who are meant to hear this and the way in which they receive it um, to be through his lens, which is of love and light and goodness. Um, but it also might ruffle some feathers. It might cause some friction or some, uh, emotions to arise. And so while I don't like to say trigger warning, because I think there, that's just an overused con- conversation or topic, but that's what this conversation is going to get into. It's a hot, item that is something that Charles not only walked through, but has since wrote about. And so I'm excited to introduce you to author Charles Utter and uh, for us to get into this conversation. Thanks for being here, Charles. Hey, happy to be here. All right, y'all. So this is the the word on the street, the book that you've got to get your hands on. And I love that it is based on a true story. Um, and I want to hear from you first off from an author publisher perspective. Why did you do it in this context rather than just writing your testimony? The name of the book is called The Roman Collar Crime Violated the Transgressions of a Small Town Priest. Well, um, the path to uh, writing the book was uh, interesting. I have a rather large family, seven sub- siblings, and wow. we're very close. And uh, we um, all experienced this priest in one way or another. Mm. My oldest sister was a senior in high school when he arrived in the community. And my youngest sister uh, graduated from high school uh, close to 30 years later. Wow, you know? wow. So, yeah. Uh, so we were all, we all experienced uh, this person. We're a close family. We used to get together every other summer for kind of a family reunion. And all we ever did was talk about this priest. (laughs) I mean, it it was, it was crazy uh, because it was so outrageous. And so 
uh, so concerning, really. Yeah. And it, it impacted our faith journeys. All of us, uh, you know, ended up going different, uh, different paths. But, uh, yeah, it was that constant uh, discussion about this priest. And finally somebody said, uh, you know, somebody ought to write a book. And I decided it would be me. The author. Wow. That is so wild. Did all of those conversations and having the different lenses really help to infiltrate like a bigger picture than just your lens? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because my sister... Uh, uh, came back into the community after she graduated from college. She married a farmer, mm-hmm. and uh, she was very active at, at in the church. Uh, but uh, the story kind of starts when one of the the assistant pastors went to the bishop and said, uh, "You know, this is what's going on, and it needs to stop." And he was told by the bishop to mind his own business and go home and keep his mouth shut. But he decided that was not the right thing to do. And so he gathered a few people in the community, including my sister, uh, to go out and interview all of the victims and and get, get the story and take it back to the bishop. And so my sister was in a, uh, intimately involved in uh, helping to uh, eventually uh uh, get this priest out of the community. So right, expose him. How long was that process? Let's see. Uh, I believe it was four or five years. Wow, which is yeah. a detriment to obviously other people who have been in interaction with him. Um, obviously, you guys were were speaking to the real life scenario, but the book is based on a true story. So does that mean you change names and locale and are uh, what's What's the percentage you would say of true to fiction? Well, the uh, stories are all basic fact. Wow. Uh, and of course, the conversations sure. surrounding those are fiction. I didn't have uh, any inside knowledge about the the uh, the, the conversations, but uh, I interviewed uh, a, a lot of people, including some of the victims, and. Uh, so, uh, the, and some of it is me. Wow. Um, in fact, uh, he was particularly hard on me because I was, uh, disinclined to follow orders. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was an order giver of the first order. And, uh, he, um, forbid us to go to what he called going steady. So you couldn't date the same girl more than three times in a row without being uh, uh, accused of going steady. And if you did that, he would uh, intervene and there would be talks to, you know, one and both, both the individuals. And if you didn't uh, break up, so, so to speak, he'd throw you out of high school. What? Yeah. And so her and I were thrown out of high school three times. <laughs> oh my gosh! And, and then you would be the only to... reason it wasn't a fourth was because he had a bad car accident, which I relayed in the book, which led to some of the real, really uh, awful things that uh, that he did. Um, but he was gone from school for almost a year, and so our junior year, we got away with uh, you know staying together without being. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and for context for those um, who are listening, this is the concept, obviously, of a small town priest. You're hearing about um, him who was also the one of the elite coaches at their high school. And so in this process is why he's has any say on what's happening inside of their school. And there's a thousand residents there. So this is not something that was just happening in a small, um, well, small, but still, I think it's a snapshot of what can happen and will happen and has happened in the larger arena of scenarios like this. Ultimately, um, mentioning things like sexual assault, uh, theft, drug distribution and blackmail, which was like a secret part of this champion championship coaches forefront. And so when I think about some of the parents that I know who are like die hard for their child's sports, of course, they're going to want like advocacy on behalf of like, keep winning the championship coach. Like this is the front line 
um, that everyone is seeing is the good, um, the winner, the gold, and behind the scenes, all of this is happening. Um, and for it to take that long for the exposure to come out means that there was happening probably many years before that actually even came to light. Oh, yeah. He was, he was uh, in the community in 1954, and he fathered his first child. Now, this is a Catholic priest mm-hmm. with a former student. Uh, in 1956, or not, I'm sorry, 1955. So it was one year. Uh, so he was perpetrating immediately. Wow. Uh, let me correct one thing. He wasn't the coach. He was the pastor of the parish and we had a Catholic school. So he was superintendent of the school and he, he went out and hired those coaches Gotcha. I just I just saw something in uh, Facebook. Somebody forwarded a uh, news story about one of the coaches that he had hired. The first one that he brought in that was really amazing. Uh, but it was a story about him retiring from the NFL. So wow. he was a head coach of the New England Patriots. Wow. Uh, for a couple of years and and coaching in another other capacities in the NFL. And he was hired by this priest and paid uh, inordinate amounts of money compared to what others were paying. Yeah. With the sole purpose of creating an environment in the community where people would actually love him for bringing these people in and creating athletic programs that were second to none in the state for actually 20 years. It continued beyond his his exit, but uh, yeah, and so he he had rock star athletic coaches in basketball, football, and uh, wrestling, wow. and uh, yeah, we had we had great teams. People loved him for it. Uh, they uh, would uh, forbid uh, rumors sure. to be spread by the kids who were the ones that were kind of spreading the rumors. Sure. Um, and, and I think one of the things that's really important to understand about the community is that these were not bad people. They were just faithful Catholic Christians who treated priests like God. Mm-hmm. And so you didn't talk bad about a priest. Right. Or who he was. And this man took advantage of that. Wow. So... It's so interesting to me because there's a, quite a few conversations that I wanted to have you on the show for specifically because um, one would be this uh, idea of church hurt, and I'm putting it around air quotes for those that are just listening and not watching because it's something that I have even caught myself saying over the past couple of years if people have been talking about it, and I really don't want um, that to get a bad uh, rap or understanding to Christianity at large because if people understand that that's an agenda that's continually happening and a lot of people are raising their hands to, they're going to think we're crazy. Why are we even a part of the, you know, quote unquote religion? Or why do we even follow God if everybody's just getting hurt and everyone's hurting each other? It's like being a part of a family and all of the family just going at each other's throats. I'm sure you can also raise your hand maybe to that scenario. (laughs) But to understand that it's not church hurt from the context of what biblical understanding of church is, it's people hurting people. It's imperfect humans doing imperfect, sinful things. And it's now being pointed as the megachurch pastors who are following, um, the, the priests who are con- being convicted. So I'd love to hear, Charles, as you've, you've lived a bit longer than me, as you've gone through this when you were younger and then seen how that has affected the church at large and people at large, you even mentioned your siblings have all gone different ways. Um, what, how have you processed that? Well, I hesitate to tell this story, but uh, uh, it affected me uh, probably different than than uh, a lot of people. First of all, it was tragic because there was a lot of uh, of the people that lived in the community, especially the gener the the generation my generation, the ones that were in school with me, and uh, you know, a few years one way or the other. Um, a lot of them just fell away. They uh, didn't come back uh, to church. Um, And it was a real tragedy uh, from that standpoint. But um, I had 
a life experience that was a little bit different because um, I had a relationship with a father that was pretty negative when it comes down to it. He made me feel like I was worthless. Mm. And rather than getting totally uh, eliminating my confidence, I, I became a I'll show you type of a guy. Yeah. Okay. So I am going to be a better Catholic than anybody that you've ever seen. So um, I had three children. They all went to Catholic school, Catholic college even. Mm. And um, I served on the, the uh, school board of my kids' Catholic school. I coached the basketball team uh, that my son played on at the Catholic school. I um, um, was on the parish council, and I gave large amounts of money to the church as well. Mm -hmm. And so that was uh, my uh, journey until one day, I don't know what happened. It was, I just said to myself, this, there's got to be thing. There's got to be something better out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cause it was just surface, you know, a surface faith. Yeah. It was an, I'll show you type of attitude. And it yeah. really didn't have much to do with God or, yeah. or, or the faith journey at all. Um, and so I went out and, uh, uh, I had a brother-in-law that had gotten involved in what's called centering prayer. Mm-hmm. And it's that's a, practice, a prayer practice that's uh, founded by Thomas Keating, mm-hmm. and it's a meditative prayer practice. And I got involved in that, and then I became a true Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, sit in prayer at least a half hour every day, sometimes more. Wow. Uh, and it's silent prayer, and there's scriptural uh, rationale for sitting in silence and listening to the Holy Spirit, and you find that the Holy Spirit speaks to you, and you become a better person as a result. And it's just God's love, just uh, you know, flowing through the Holy Spirit to you as a as a result of that prayer. And so, wow. um, I'm feeling pretty good ab- about my path today, which is you know far better than it's ever been. Yeah, what a joy. And I I know that the Lord loves to delight in us and wants to have, you know, close communion with us in conversation. And that relational exchange is, um, there's lots of different ways to kind of be in that, I would say, space of access. He's always with us. Holy Spirit is always dwelling. He's here right now during our conversation. But um, the times that I am the most quiet and reflective, I surely can hear him the best. And so I, um, I concur with the the practice of, of meditative prayer and really being with God. Do you journal through it? You know, I don't. Um, I don't journal because I found when I did in the past that I never reread it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, you have you have grandchildren. You have you have kiddos, right? Yeah, yeah. They would appreciate it. It's interesting, and one of the reasons that I got really excited about your book and it being. Um, this this fiction based historically true uh, novel is I I stumbled upon my grandpa's similar genre um, and there was a lot of Christianity inside of it um, when he passed away last year and um, I had an opportunity to to read it cover to cover in one day during Christmas break and uh, it really gave me this whole new lens on how Christianity and his faith walk kind of unraveled, I'll say, um, through his life and what some of the final hours were uh, in his life connected to this story. And so I think even having this book for your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, it's going to be such a treasure to them to have a glimpse at what it was like and what was going on um, and how it affected you because it is generational when things like this transpire um, that it can affect generations. And I think it's the enemy's tactic, right? Like he is going to weasel his way into some of the most sacred places, which would be church, which would be oh, yeah. homes and hearts so that he can destroy um, our relationship with God. As you've, you've experienced this yourself, and then I'm sure with all of the feedback you've been getting, um, you have so many reviews, 
how many people are coming back to you with a, just gratitude in your exposing what's transpiring? Well, um, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, I've, I'm, as you read the reviews, of course, you get the, the impression that people are really happy that the book was written. Yeah. But there's a segment in, uh, in the community that I grew up in, and some of whom are good friends of mine, who are really resentful. Mm. Um, I'm not sure where that comes from, although and here's something interesting. Yeah. One of my best friends from high school is just angry about the fact that I read wrote this book. Yeah. But one day, one of his sister's children contacted me out of nowhere. Mm. And he asked me a lot of questions about what was going on in the community. And specifically, if I knew anything that had happened within his family, wow. his mother's family, that might have kind of impacted what's going on in, wow. in his current situation. And yeah, it was, it was really revealing to me. Sure. And it all, it all, it validated something that I had suspected, but never wrote about in the mm. book. Mm. And it was just the, the fact that uh, it was very likely that his mother had a relationship. Wow. And this is a deeply Catholic Christian family sure. that, uh, but were, were victims of, of the priest, uh, not, not only the abuse, but the priest worship. Yeah. Cause they, uh, definitely worship the priest in that family, and we now, we did in my family too. My mother was was a strong yeah uh, Catholic. Well, uh, and there's um there's a reason that that is instilled. It wasn't even that their fault or lack of knowledge. It was again that was a generational pass of like how does this work well, sure. and, and how do you treat the priest and I mean that's from eons before it ever hit America, right? And understanding the oh, sure. historical understanding of the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope and all of those things. Um, it's something I am processing consistently. My husband is half Mexican. And so um, c Catholicism is is everything in Mexico. And it's not something I've studied, but he was raised Catholic. And so it's been interesting navigating those conversations with him and understanding it. And um, also knowing that any denomination is going to have an element of, of being tainted. And so sure. it always just needs to go back to God, not back to, again, the man, the pastor, the priest, whomever it is that has been falsely idolized. Um, that's in any religion, and we see that over and over again in both Old and New Testament. It's why the Lord himself didn't want to give us kings, and we craved having a king, and every kingship fell. Because he's like, I don't care who you think you're worshiping or who is in control. At the end of the day, it's still about me, and I still love you more than that person could ever love you. And so there's a healing element that has to come on the other side of scenarios like this. How um, did you go about healing your hurt from that time? Well, um, th that's a good question because uh, it was a uh, um, it was a process that kind of gradually evolved over over time without any conscious uh, mm. uh, connection. Uh, I was called Mister Catholic. At one time, <laughs> which is so ironic because there was no uh, really religious belief that triggered that. It was what I told you earlier. Sure. It was yeah, what you were doing. Show, I'll yeah. show you the yeah. attitude. Um, but um, the uh, the thing that really you know really changed me was my introduction to, to Centering Prayer. And that happened about 20 years ago. Wow. And it, uh, what, what the, the impact of that is that it, it really helps you focus on the primary uh, importance of Christianity itself, and that is the manifestation of love. Mm. Uh, love one another as I have loved you. And when we're dysfunctional human beings, love is very difficult. Yeah. You know, and so 
for me, uh, I was trying to be in control of everything, uh, trying to prove myself all of the time. Uh, I was an ang- as a result, I was an angry person. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't manifesting love at all. Oh. Uh, from that standpoint. So I was easily triggered and in my, my anger was easily triggered and, and, and that type of a thing. And so when I got into this prayer and began to listen to the Holy Spirit and began to realize that in order to be, uh, to manifest God's love, I was going to have to change. Mm. Uh, uh, that's the journey that, that I've been on. And that's a, uh, a, um, Continual process. It doesn't ever stop, really. Um, you know, there's only been one perfect person who ever lived. Right. And it ain't me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, oh, that's so good. Well, so, and that's yeah. the concept of the fancy word or concept of um, sanctification or becoming more holy or becoming more like Christ is the fact that this is an always becoming journey. And that's the title of my book with intention is like, you've never made it anywhere. We've made it to this moment, but that's not where our eternity is going to rest. Um, and that's what we're looking for. And that's who we're looking towards is the eternal one. And I process the, the love that you're speaking to, um, and relishing and sitting under true love and how forgiveness comes through that um, that release of anger that you're speaking to, that sentiment of resentment that can deter people from ever walking back into a church, ever thinking that they could trust God again. Um, I'm currently doing uh, something called the Bible Recap with a lady by the name of Tara Lee Cobble, and it's um, going chronologically through the Bible. And so we've been in the book of Job, and this scenario seems so much like Job. A bunch of Jobs were inside of it, right? A bunch of Jobs were having things stolen from them at a young age, having their innocence taken, having their um, their faith, that hope, that um, that vibrancy of that childlike wonder gone for one reason or another, whether it was the sexual abuse or whether it was just being um, language, right? Just the way that you can beat someone down over and over again. And so it's just this revelation of re- recognizing that little by little, all, all will be healed. And there will be that moment of full understanding where just like Job at the end, when even when he had the multiplication, even when everything was restored, that might not be everybody's journey, especially connected to their faith in something traumatic like this. But it's the knowingness that even without all the answers, and Job did not have all the answers, he still didn't understand, and even after the questioning of God, why that happened. But I am certain that on the other side of heaven, he figured it out. Well, it's interesting that you should bring up Job because I've uh, felt connected to Job for most of my life and uh, have, have viewing my life experiences very similar to that. Yeah. And again, it's a continuing process. So uh, I haven't had the uh, Re, uh, what do you? What word did you use? The multiplication season. <laughs> the, multiple, the <laughs> multiplication, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe it will happen. Who knows? But hey, if it doesn't, God knows. doesn't matter because that's, yeah, that's not right. the essence of, of what uh, the message of Job is. It's exactly right. I actually had this thought while I was reading it, and I've read it multiple times because people have actually said similar things about familial situations that have happened in my own life of like, Tamara, have you read Job? Wow, everything you're saying, you need to go read Job. And um <laughs> I, I did, but this particular time, the Lord was revealing to me like his process of what transpired in the human context of the Bible, Genesis to Revelations, and that it's actually a snapshot of that, that we're going to have this amazing, like Jesus came, we're going to have this this human existence, this sin-filled, um, it's going to feel like lackluster life. And while he was righteous, Job was called a righteous one by God, the people around him and the context around him felt like it wasn't. And at the end of it, there's full restoration. And so it was almost like this, oh my goodness, I didn't ever put this in full context of scripture at large and to see the sovereignty of God. Um, which is that steadfast, he is all wise, all knowing, greater than great. And 
it blankets all people's opinions. And he had all these friends who had opinion stories of what actually happened. And so I imagine even with your friendship of um, the person from high school, he was limited in the understanding, especially in the understanding that his one day nephew um, would have something to to see or say or need from this scenario. It's all a ripple Mm -hmm. effect. Right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, Charles, as you took all of these life experiences and you lived them summer by summer with your siblings as you guys rehashed some things that happened because it was such a pinpointed um, time in your all's life and scenario in your life, how did that affect every other part? So we've talked about maybe some anger issues. We've talked about like the just the coming to the fact that you didn't have to live your faith by works, um, which people speak to all the time. Um, I would love to know from a career perspective, this was not your career. You weren't like set out to be an author. You weren't set out to like um, get someone back or anything like that when it came to writing this book. Um, how how did the rest of your life trans, transpire having this kind of just backstory in your mind for decades? Well, um, you know, my, my uh, uh, journey's been tough. Uh, and not, not because I don't have great skills, because um, I was a coach in, in the beginning, and I was a really good coach. Yeah. But I was, I think I was obsessed with money or something. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things in my family and my father was, uh, was always so obsessed with money and he, he died broke, uh, despite that. And uh, he had a he had a great business that flourished during the fifties, but mm-hmm. small town, you know, yeah. it, uh, the business kind of shrunk and and things didn't go well for him. But uh, but uh, so I uh, was a, a really good coach. I coach of the year in North Dakota for cross country coach of the year when I was twenty six years old wow. after winning three state titles, and cool. uh, I had a great record in ba- as a basketball coach. Uh, but because of the money, I decided to get out and I entered a career that was not, I was not suitable, suited for. And I'm, I'm still working in that career yeah. over 40 years later. Oh um, but it, uh, I made decisions that really came, uh, came home to roost in a, in a very, very negative way. And so I've been struggling financially my entire life. Mm. And, uh, it caused, uh, you know, lots of problems with, uh, within my uh, personal family. Sure. Uh, but, uh, it doesn't, it didn't override the love that my wife and I have. Mm-hmm. And even though we still struggle, um, it's been, uh, you know, pretty good. I was part of the, you know, it's, it's really weird because mm-hmm. I, I made some decisions that should have been great decisions. Like, uh, I set up, uh, a community foundation in Longmont, Colorado, that's now got $20 million in it and gives out a million and a half dollars a year to the community's needy. And um, I <laughs> had the success as a coach. I was uh, fairly successful in, in my business from a, 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 a revenue standpoint, but I was really bad at the decision, the decisions that I made uh, about running the business. Yeah. Um, maybe I can, maybe I can tell you. Come on. <laughs> what what Come killed on. me. <laughs> I, of course. You know, I decided one day that I wasn't going to pay my quarterly tax payments until I absolutely had to. Mm-hmm. And so April 15th, I wrote the checks and that worked for, let's see, that was 19, uh, 75 until 1990. Oh, wow. <laughs> but uh, some years I didn't have the money, so I would sure. uh, borrow it. I had a line of credit at the bank, and I'd, I'd borrow the money. Yeah. And so uh, it, after about 1990, my business went in the dumper for a couple of years. Yeah. And I couldn't make my payments. Yeah. And then the bank that had borrowed me the money went broke. Yeah. 
so I didn't have that resource anymore. And so um, year after year, I try to delay the, these tax payments, and there's ways that you can do that. Um, it's called offers and compromise, and I filed five of those. And it, yeah. So for 25 years, I avoided collections, and by the time that was over, I owed them a half a million dollars. Wow. And so um, we eventually got that resolved, and and I sold my business, and that the proceeds eventually paid off that debt. But I'm sitting with no retirement fund. Okay, and so what, the reason I tell you that is because uh, the the experience that I had with this priest and my father uh, just made it uh, set me on a path that I didn't understand because yeah. uh, I always thought I am. I'll show you. I'll show you. I'm going to be able to do this. And uh, so, uh, as happened to Job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I yeah. think, though, Charles, like just listening to that and understanding that, it's like as you've practiced receiving God's love and you know that it's not a work based experience and you know that it's not because you practice this, this centering prayer, that that is the end all be all. It's because you seek God. It's because he responds to you that your life legacy is about love. Your life legacy is about um, joy and peace and these practices that are eternal practices that you're passing to your lineage rather and your communities at large rather than potentially this tangible thing that I know I've been guilty of that as well. That was my whole 20s was like this American dream, this rat wheel, this like, oh, I have a nine-figure contract, so life is good. And that's not the case because decisions are being made um, with money, without money, by people every single day. And one way or another, it ends up falling um, falling to be uh, of us to be prey because it's the devil's tactic. It truly is. And so it's literally from the garden. And while we don't not take ownership, I raise my hand to all of those decisions out of free will. Ultimately, it's still God's love that graces us the opportunity to have an eternal life versus sitting in that sin and that element of damnation ultimately for the rest of our lives. And so I would say from that place and knowing the variability of my own grandfather that I alluded to earlier, you know, he, he held some of that anger for his whole life. He held resentment for his whole life. He never believed he was an atheist and never passed that element to his, his grandchildren or his great grandchildren. And he had 27 of us just as grandchildren. So like mm -hmm. there are things that you have that make you far richer than some people who have a lot of money. And yeah, you know, well, you know, I, I've learned, uh, to trust. Yeah. And, and so my, um, um, attitude about life is much better than it's ever been. I, I have a phrase that I, uh, say hundreds of times a day in some days. And it basically says, Jesus, I place my trust in you. And so what that means to me is I'm surrendering to his will, whatever that will is. And I try to manifest uh, his love in the best way that I can by improving my character, uh, you know, uh, relieving some of that anger um, and understanding that when something happens that is difficult, uh, it's a challenge, but it's God's will, and I place my trust in Him, and so um, it, it helps me get through that uh, day, that that incident that might be uh, maybe a discussion that didn't go well with my wife or something like that, you know, and so. Um, uh, I think that, you know, the, the faith journey is, uh, it would probably never have occurred if the life journey hadn't been Job-like. <laughs> true. It, he turns us to him. Like, it's it's interesting and beautiful all at the same time. And you, I perceive other people who um, 
or what I would, I would imagine is like their rock bottom. Right. And, and there are people that I love so much. I'm like, this is it. This is their rock bottom. This is their turning back moment. This is their prodigal son eating out of a pig's trough moment. And (laughs) it doesn't happen. And I'm like, what else could go wrong for this to go right? And again, we just have to trust God and know that his ways are higher than our ways and that not everyone is going to have that return home and that our yearning for them and our praying for them doesn't stop. And it surely doesn't make us not seek after him harder. Um, it, there's four words that were brought up in our church service this past week and that are so connected to the last couple of statements that you just said, um, which was repent and understanding what repentance actually is, uh, trust, which is connected to obedience, And once you have obedience, then you're really activating surrender because you're doing the thing obediently in order to surrender. And you said it perfectly. You're like, every day I have to do this. It's not a, oh, I did it that one time and now I'm set to go, check box. And then the last word is intimacy, which your meditative prayer is that like response and that desire to be in intimacy with him and At the end of the day, especially when intimacy has been destroyed in your life, whether through the intimate relationship with your earthly dad, whether through this Catholic priest um, and all the other people that I'm sure have not had um, fully perfect relationships, that we are willing to be in intimacy with a loving father um, is, is pretty dynamic and I think beautiful that he would put us into that space of like eagerly yearning for more love. Right. Well, I wouldn't have ever expected my path to be the one it was, but, but, uh, you know, I'm good with things right now. And, and, uh, the book was, uh, an, an effort to, uh, um, really expose yeah. some of the, the things that happened in my community that had impacted my family. Yeah. And I hoped in some sort of a, way that uh, when the right people read the book, and there's been priests that have read the book, uh, it would uh, trigger a desire to, to uh, you know, to bring the church back to, to, to its, its, its real message. Yeah. And uh, I hope that that's uh, the result. And... Uh, I've got some stories that surround uh, the reaction of some of the priests. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine. I mean, and I was—it's was, reading- funny because uh, you know this priest was evil, but I worked with a uh, uh, taught in a Catholic school uh, yeah. for five years, and the priest there is uh, ended up be- being one of my best friends. Sure, I mean he was an awesome person. Sure, and just the, he, he didn't act very holy, but he was a holy man. Yeah, he had he had faith and. Uh, he was a great role model, and uh, so uh, it's not all bad. Sure. And this is a individual who, uh, unfortunately, was not outed yeah. by the authorities as he should have been. Uh, but the evolution of the church has been uh, causing that to change over time, and Completely. so it's not what it used to be now. So that's a that's a good thing. And I well, don't and know I how think- much my book. Uh, impacted any of what happened, right. but uh, it's part of a uh, evolutionary process. Well, and there's so many comments, um, even through your your review sections of it blessing people, it being like an exposure point for what's actually happening, um, for it being a destructive story that allows people to understand that who we respect and question. Um, there should be secondary elements of just safety and protection on behalf of people inside of places, um, inside of churches, and what can actually happen. Ultimately understanding that what people say as confession, like the, the pastors and the priests are also subject to confession. And at the end of the day, those people who didn't speak out, they're also going to be held accountable. And so I, I love that your accountability was as a part of that was, I'm going to go ahead and share this out and know that it's now out of your families, you know, kind of connection points and that it can be out for the other people to say, Hey, this, I'm not alone. 
And I think that's one of the biggest things when we walk through and we put our testimonies out for people is the reminder to people that they're not alone. They're not fighting this battle by themselves. And more and more and more stories around this is, is coming to light because people are starting to realize, hey, the brave ones are the ones who are actually making change. And so I am grateful that I got to have you on the show and and uh, be able to call you brave, you know, at the end of the day is is such a cool thing to be able to have. Um, we've got some people that are on live with us who I love, and they're saying, amen to that. Jesus, I place my trust in you, not alone. And that's what our society needs to know more of because we're sitting in a lot of isolation based on previous traumas. And so we've spoken about a lot today and I want people to surely get their hands on your book. I'll have the link in the show notes so people can do so. Um, do you have any other works in the process uh, that now that you've written this one, you get the writer's bug again? Well, you know, I'm, I'm still having to make a living. So I'm uh, spending a lot of time in my uh, uh, life insurance practice. Okay. Uh, I've got a couple of books that I want to write. I don't sure, no, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to get to them. The yeah. one, uh, if you read the book, you, you'll note that one of the, uh, the, uh, the, um, threads yeah. in there was a coach and his family, uh, the wife of which had a 15 year relationship with this priest. And I'm a good friend of the oldest son Mm. Uh, who was a great athlete. I mean, recruited by UCLA to play basketball and out of this little tiny town. Um, um, so I want to write the story of his family. Wow. Wow. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever get to it, but yeah, uh, it's all the connection points. If I ever get released from this business, I may, I may do that. <laughs> Lord, we pray for Charles right now. Release him today so he can do more of your work, God. We thank you for your life. Thank you. you know, for and there's life. another one, too. Oh, yeah? Think, I've been motivated to write something about the Ten Commandments now uh, because those have somehow disappeared from sight. Yeah. You know, and uh, I don't. I guess the Ten Commandments always meant mandates to me. Yeah. But now what I see them as, as rules to live by that enable you to manifest love. Yeah. Because if you keep the commandments, then your relationships with people are better. Yeah. Uh, and you can... Uh, manifest, better manifest love. Yeah. And I think by looking at the Ten Commandments as a way of loving, better, ab being better able to love is so much more, um, you know, exciting yeah, than say, looking like, at them for, as rules. Yeah, yeah. You like know, because, you know, in the Catholic yeah. Church when I was a kid, if you broke the rules, you, you know, and didn't go to confession, you went to hell. Yeah, <laughs> and that didn't feel very <laughs> so, loving. For sure. Yeah. Doesn't no. feel loving at all. But I think people want to unlock love, which is why our society is in the state that it is when it comes to a lot of uh, sexual identity issues, um, you know, genderism, who they love. You know, people want to be animals now. They want to love animals. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, you know, like this is not new to God because it's Old Testament stuff that's happening. Um, but it's wild that it actually is something that we're facing. And it's ultimately rooted in the fact that people don't experience love. And it, whether it's familial, whether it's generational, whether it's uh, religion, religious, you know, indoctrination, whatever it is, it's the knowing that there is a great love. And unlocking that for yourselves and being able to sit in that truth every single day, man, there's truly nothing better. And so I can I can sense that love from you, Charles. I can sense that sense that peace from you. And um, I'm prayerful for what God has in store for you. I, I think it's going to be unexpected beyond your hopes and imagination, right? That's the that's the plan. Right. Well, Let's go I, for I'm that excited. multiplication season. <laughs> I'm excited about what you're doing because uh, you are manifesting love and. When you when it comes to the internet, there's not a lot a lot of love being manifest. So that's true. you are you are one of the exceptions, and that's fantastic. 
I appreciate that so much. I enjoy it. It's fun to love. Be a lover of all things, but first God, yeah. and then he'll put you in line with where you're supposed to be. Charles, I appreciate you. We're so grateful to have you on the Fit and Faith podcast. I know everyone needs to get the Roman Collar Crime book. Get it now and uh, make sure that you start writing your own story of the places in which perhaps you've had people hurt, not church hurt. Let's let's eradicate that word uh, from language so that we can draw people into a safe church and into a safe haven. Um, and, and there are safe ones. I promise you that. So get in community yeah. and understand that love is real and his name is Jesus. So we love you. Thank you, Charles. We'll chat soon. Love you as well. Thank you for having me on. It was a great time. My joy. Hey y'all, it's me again. Before you go, let's solidify the flame that was ignited within you today by sharing the spark with your own community. Whether it's mentally, physically, emotionally, relationally, or spiritually, I would love for you to take the step right now by declaring your takeaway. Snap a pic of the episode and share it on your stories or posts, and you can tag me and the guest, and we will surely feature you on our Instas. Hey, you might even unlock a new accountability buddy in me or them. We're totally in this together and we appreciate the extra step taken. I would be so grateful if you even took the extra step. Come on, give me that extra sauce and leave a review on iTunes for the podcast listening app that is of your choice. I'm going to be featuring your thoughts and facts and it's going to be so fun in upcoming episodes. So you'll not only hear your name on the show, but maybe even your passion project or whatever big shout out you want me to make. So please, as a fellow writer, leave some words that I can attest to and I can't wait to read what you have to say. Thanks again for being a loyal listener and I hope to meet you in person soon at one of the events that we are speaking at or hosting. And I say we because the Fit and Fake team could not do this without you. Until next time, blessings over your joy, health, wealth, and wholeness. This is the Fit and Faith Way. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us and this podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network, which is obviously why we got connected and are so grateful to be a part of the community. They have shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Some of mine that I listen to on a regular basis are on Life Audio. Even some of our community members who have been a part of the Fit and Faith team through our coaching or different organizations, they're there too. So I definitely want to drive you over there, check it out. And thanks again, Life Audio, for being you. Looking for ways to stay positive? Brighten your day with the free Story Behind podcast. Hear weekly short stories that showcase true joy, love, and hope. Listen now at lifeaudio.com or by searching for Story Behind wherever you get your podcasts.